What up, peeps? Wednesday, April 27th, the day before the NFL draft, the day that I get all geeked up for. But this is Market Call, 1 p.m. Eastern time, 30 minutes on the clock. G Swizzle here, joined by Dan Nathan. And check this out, people. In just a few minutes, I know I can't believe it myself, we're going to be joined by Coco Beware, CIO of Optimize Advisors and a CNBC contributor, and obviously the stud of Options Action. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow. And we are now powered by Open Exchange. You can find them at, at Open Exchange TV on Twitter. Dan, I got to tell you something. A lot's going on in the last 24 hours. And as I'm sitting here, apparently now you can pre-announce four hours before you report earnings. Thank you, Facebook. Yeah, man, this is happening right as we speak, right as we're going on air. They were supposed to report after the close today. The implied move in the options market was 13% in either direction. And guy, it looks like a guy down, man. They see second quarter revenue, $27 billion to $29 billion. The estimate was nearly $31 billion. So the midpoint of that is 28. That's a That's a 10% guide down on revenue for a quarter. Man, that is like, that's big. You know, the stock is... All over the place, though. It's trading at 177 right now. This is why I guess they do these after the market, usually, guy. But you just said something really interesting. You said, as you're sitting there, you're not in your normal seat. Do you have like a, a lunch meeting with Salazzo and McCluskey? What's going on over there? Well, that's interesting you say that. And if you see me get up in a minute and ask permission to go take a leak, you'll know that I'm actually getting the pistol. From a bin behind the uh, who put it, toilet Who put it bowl. up there? Who put it up there? I mean, come on. I mean, one of Pete's guys put it up well, there. Well, Pete who? Be because, there. wait, wait, Pete. Yeah, but Pete who? Peter Clemenza. And the only reason you know his first name is Peter, by the way, is at that scene when Abe yeah. Vigoda, who plays Tessio, says, Pete, yeah. it's perfect. But anyway, I mean, we could talk Godfather for four hours. We, we only have 28 minutes left to talk about the market. So let's talk. We have yeah. a meta chart up. Great job by our crack production team. Let's look at that Facebook chart real quick and sort of toggle back because this sort of tells the story, I think, Dan. Look at this move in Facebook since the all-time high. We've talked about it. More than cut in half. And now with this pre-announcement, it believes leads me to believe that that trend line, which you drew prior to this, is absolutely in play. I mean, listen, guy, at its lows today, this stock was down 56% from its all-time highs made on September 1st, you know, 2021. Okay, you can do the math on that. That's a little more than a, a half a year. And, you know, you and I said it. We talked about it yesterday in the market call. And you know, when that stock was making new all-time highs every day last summer, nobody nobody saw this thing coming in this way. You know, it wasn't an analyst on the street. There weren't investors who were long this stock who were cautious. And I just think that's the tale of this market in a way. And so we'll get into Facebook a little more with, with Mike Coe. I know he has a lot to say on that guy, but you know, you and I, when we were starting to think about what we wanted to talk about this morning with Amanda, we were saying, okay, the NASDAQ was down 3%, the NASDAQ was down, or the S&P was down 2% yesterday. The market was up, I don't know, 1%. It's up a little more than that. We're like, not that impressive of a bounce. And when you look at the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, you see the match low, right, from that March and February period where we had those big intraday reversals and some pretty sharp rallies off them. You say to yourself, not impressive. And from a technical standpoint, the NASDAQ 100 looks like it's most certainly going to break down. Listen, we obviously, we're going to talk about Microsoft, obviously. We'll talk about Google as well. But I, when the earnings came out, the initial reaction of Microsoft was lower. And that initial reaction in Google was, in a word, catastrophic, given the levels that we talked yeah. about. So this chart that you see right now, we were significantly lower 
the net green line at a certain point last night after earnings. Obviously, we're here now. I will say to you, and if Carter were here, he'd say the same thing. There really no such thing as triple bottoms, and we still have some big earnings left. Obviously, you just mentioned Facebook. I mean, we'll see. These triple Qs are vulnerable, Dan. And now you have the 200-day moving average. We've talked about it for a while. Now you can absolutely see that not only is it stopped going from the lower left to the upper right, it's starting to roll over and head lower, which, again, leads me to believe we're going to take out the support level in the Qs. Yeah, and the other thing that I think is really important here is that the QQQ is down 19% of the years, right? So it's up 1.3% today. So it was down 20% in that kind of bear market territory, as some people like to refer it to. And we're just talking about Microsoft. And Microsoft's a $2.1 trillion market cap company that is up 7% today. Now, obviously, it was down a whole heck of a lot on the year prior to today's bounce versus Google or Alphabet, which is down 2%, which is a $1.5 trillion market cap. And so one of the reasons why we think about applied moves and we think about expectations, we think about sentiment, and we kind of look at the concentrations of a lot of these names in an index like the NDX is because if they were all to go the same direction, right, you're going to have some problems here. But guys, let's talk a little bit about Microsoft here, because you know what? I think I said earlier in the week, this looks like a textbook head and shoulders. Even today, with that 7% bounce, it's not out of the woods yet. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. The 200-day moving average is up there at 305. Let's see if we can put a couple days together. But I go back to Alphabet in January. Remember that quarter they put up, guy, for the Q4? Stock gapped to a new all-time high, reversed, closed on the lows, and went much lower over the next few weeks. I wonder if we're going to see similar price action in Microsoft. On Fast Money last night, and let's take a look at Microsoft real quick, if you could toggle back. We talked about what I said on the show last night. I said, look, if Microsoft had reported this quarter pre-November, yeah. I said, you're probably talking about a stock that's up you know, 5 to 8%, legit. And I actually believe that. The quarter was actually pretty good. Azure growth, I saw it came in up 49% year over year. Other people said 46%. Regardless, I mean, it's still pretty impressive given the size, right? And given the, the fact that I think most people on the street had it in the high 40s. Number one, beat on EPS wasn't a huge beat. Beat on revenue wasn't a huge beat, but good enough given the sell-off. And I think that's what we're seeing now. But again, at a stock that's still probably trading at 27 times next year's numbers in this yeah. environment, you could say, given all the things I just mentioned, Microsoft is still expensive. It's going to be really interesting to see how it closes the day, Dan. Yeah. So, you know, Amanda's not only awesome with those fact set charts, she's good with fact set news, and maybe she's on street accounts checking this out. I guess they're saying correction, meta platforms did not report that forecast reported an error. You tell me whether you believe that was the right number or not, whether some news agency kind of pushed it out or not. Maybe that's one of the reasons why that stock had that quick dip down to 170. Now it's back at 177 and a half. I can't wait to hear what Mike Coe has to say about what that does to the options on a short-term basis to have that sort of freak out. Let's look at the Google the alphabet guy, because I got to tell you, you just said it looked like a, a bad number. It looked like uh, they missed on multiple metrics. They're seeing some deceleration in some of their key businesses here. That stock, again, you know, made that new all-time high. We just mentioned it had that bounce last month, but man, it just took out that, that cluster of lows, right? From January, February, March, and April. And it did that guy heading into the print. The results were not great. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the stock's firmed up a little bit down two and a half percent. 
But from a fundamental standpoint, where do you stand? Because this was one of the most defensible valuations in the mega cap tech space. Yeah, but look at those bottoms. And you had talked about this. We talked about it on Market Call earlier this week. We talked about it on Fast Money, the fact that it was at critical support, I mean, critical support levels. And we did break through. In terms of the quarter, we've seen Google put up some ridiculous quarters on the good side of the ledger. Quarters that I think people would only dream about. That quarter last night was not good, Dan. They missed on EPS. They missed on revenue. YouTube revenues were light. YouTube, obviously, a huge growth engine there. That's slowing down. Makes you wonder what Facebook is going to say if they, in fact, do say something later on today. You can make, again, you can have made a very compelling case for Google on valuation. At any point on this chart, Google on a valuation level was justifiable. Now you're starting to ask yourself, are we seeing declining revenues? Are we seeing declining growth in YouTube and some of the big drivers? And you have to be concerned. I don't want to say the 2,000 level's in play, but you know what, Dan? That 2,000 level is absolutely in play here for Google. <laughs> you, you just said it, man. Well, here's one. You know, Tom Lee of FS Insight, friend of our show, Market Call, and obviously Fast Money, too. He has a note out this morning. He's talking about the relative underperformance of the NASDAQ versus the S&P 500. And, you know, you know, obviously, he's got a lot of data here, and he's basically saying it's the worst since the 2002 era. Here's the thing, though, that I think is really interesting. He's talking about the last few times you've seen this sort of underperformance in the NASDAQ. You have, he says, returns extraordinary over the next six-month period. Here's what's different about 2002. That was two years into a protracted bear market, okay? We are one week into a bear market as it relates to the mega cap names. I mean, I'm just going to lay that out there. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, you know, you and I were talking about it yesterday. It's a pretty fascinating sort of bookend. We see tons of similarities. We had Jim Chanos on our podcast on the tape that dropped on Friday. Check it out, people in your favorite podcast stores. And he was saying that he sees tons of similarities between the market in 2000 and what we're dealing with right now. And here's the one to put a too fine a point on this is that the last time the Fed raised 50 basis point at a meeting was May of 2000, and they're about to do it next week. And you tell me, Guy Dami, what do you think that means? Because right now, all those dips used to get bought over the last 10 years, as you mentioned, because the Fed could jawbone, they could be dovish, they could do whatever the heck they want. They can't right now. No, I agree with that. And they're steadfast in their belief that they need to fight the inflation that they coveted for so long. And it's interesting. I don't necessarily disagree with any of the things Tom put out. It's just a question of where do we go first? And I still think there's a significant leg lower to answer your question. I'm pretty convinced that the back half of this year fall into the holidays could be gangbusters for the market. But I don't know from what level we're going to be gangbusters. I still think there's a significant decline. We looked at the Q's chart. We looked at some individual names. So I think there's pain ahead. And I got to tell you, we talk about this all the time, but you know, everybody loves Apple and we're going to get into Apple earnings, obviously, tomorrow. That, that is a critical number. I mean, if you're hanging yeah. your, your if you're basically hanging your hopes on a good report from Apple, get ready, folks, because this could get really interesting really quickly. Yeah, I know. I agree, especially when you consider not just the kind of issues as it relates to lockdowns in China and manufacturing and access to parts of their products, but also demand in that region and you know the surging dollar. There's a whole host of things that should be headwinds there. Let's see what they can do. You know, guy, I want to mention this, and I think this is interesting. Going back to Jim Chanos of Kinecos and. You you know, he said this to us, and it's just such a great point. You know, you and I lived through, traded through, invested.
invested through that bear market post.com. And you know what? 01 was worse than 2000 and 02 was worse than 01. And it just felt excruciating if you're looking for opportunities to get long. And some of these stocks that were the poster children for the inflation of the bubble, they got smeistered. I mean, like literally, look at this chart in Amazon. And I think a lot of people, if you weren't in the markets back then, this is almost inconceivable to have a stock that inflated the way it did from its 1997 IPO and deflate 95% to its lows from its highs in just a matter of a couple of years. And the point that Jim made, and I think this is really interesting, why he thinks it's almost more dangerous right now to focus on some of these mega cap tech names is that at its height, it was a $25 billion market cap company and got down to about four. We have tons of $25 billion unprofitable companies. We don't have tons. We have at least a couple dozen, especially in the tech space, that are unprofitable, at least on a gap basis, that are now 25 5 billion that were much higher prior. So I'm curious, Guy, your take on that, because really importantly, moving along to Netflix, this stock is down 70 some percent. And this is a very profitable company. You know what I mean? Just seeing massive deceleration. So let's just let's juxtapose these things. And now this is about a 90 billion dollar market cap company that was north of 200 billion about six months ago. So let's go back to that Amazon chart real quick. If we can toggle back for you playing our bingo game. Thank you. So obviously, just look at the time frame for this. This is from 98 to basically 2005 for context. And the point here is peak to trough decline, 95%. We've all talked about it. There it is in front of you. But it took literally years for this stock to make any significant recovery. When I say years, it's years. Just look at the chart. Now, what I will say, Dan, and I think you would agree with this, 20 years ago, things didn't move nearly as quickly as things move today. So I don't think we're going to have that type of lag time. But with that said, you can make a very compelling case that Netflix or name like Netflix could be in the penalty box for the next nine to 12 months. Now, let's take a look at Netflix just to take a look at what's happened here. I mean, this is a 73 percent peak to trough decline. If my math is right, I might be off by a little. Please don't at me. But who's to say Netflix just couldn't go sideways for the foreseeable future? And by the way, I was a person that thought it would probably hold around 260 or so. That obviously didn't work out. And here we are. So. I guess your point is, and it's the right point, just because things look cheap doesn't mean they are cheap. Again, Chano says it all the time. The biggest mistake we all make is to look at where things have been historically and try to contextualize that and where they should go. It means nothing, Dan. Yeah, no, it doesn't. But, you know, here's the, the next one I want to talk about is like, so, you know, putting some, you know, historical context to that. But, you know, here was a tweet that I had back in January, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything like that, but this was kind of interesting. It was in Spotify, and it was during that Joe Rogan dust up, right? And a lot of artists were pulling their music from the platform. And at the time, and this is one of the reasons why we are so fortunate to have Carter Braxton worth of worth charting on with us so frequently. And I've learned so much from him over the years. But look what I was saying here. Like this was a horrible looking chart that in Spotify that was down from almost 400. It was trading at 200. It was at a massive level back to the breakout level from the prior year, back to a support level. And look what happened, guys, when it broke. Okay, it was already down 40 some percent when it broke and now it's been cut in half again. And the point that I learned this in the 0102 period is that stocks that get cut in half can get cut in half again. And you better watch your ass is kind of what I'm saying. And now Spotify, you can't even see it, but it gap below its all time lows. This thing's in the hurt locker for a long time. And if you look at the tweet you sent out on January 25th, I think yeah. the levels you were talking about was exactly that. With the support was 200 that we were breaking. Here we are. 
50% lower. That's a great call. I want to quickly go through a couple things. Yeah. Boeing, Boeing is its own animal, Dan. I think we'd all agree. I don't want to make a stretch in terms of what it means for the broader industrials. But let's take a look at the Boeing chart, if we could, quickly. This downtrend's been in place. The stock can't get out of its own way. Everybody's tried to make compelling cases for this company on valuation. That's been wrong. And by the way, I mean, we're talking about a stock that hasn't sniffed its all-time high in three years. The flip side of that coin quickly is a name like Visa, which I thought the numbers were really good last night. We had talked about it. The stock had sold off from a prior all-time high, found support. Look, if you look at the Visa numbers, you're talking about a company now with almost 69% operating margins, which is, I mean, I think most companies would die for something like that. Yeah. Transaction growth continues to be there. People will knock Visa on valuation. That's been a knock for a long time. I think that's sort of a tale of two cities. I know they're completely different companies, but I thought the Visa number was pretty good last night, Dan. Yeah, no, I, I listen, you know, we got to look for some bright spots here. And I think one of the most interesting things about Visa is never one of those names that you say it looks really cheap, but maybe it looks cheap on a, relative to its expected growth and the relative outperformance of their business to a lot of other, you know, kind of financial oriented companies, something worth looking at. And even with this gap today, it's still in the midpoint of the one year range. So that should be on a short list of names that you might want to look to if things start firming up. All right, guy, we got to do, do it. Can I do this? No, I got to do this. Yeah, I got to do it. You got to do, 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 do it. You got to do it. You know, I've been at CNBC since I think 1948, obviously. <laughs> I met dozens, if not hundreds of people. But, you know, every once in a while you come into contact and you meet somebody that's not only a colleague, but is a friend, a brilliant mind and somebody that just gets it, like totally understands it, plays along in on the jokes, but is brilliant when he does it. And that, of course, is my friend Coco Beware. By the way, I gave him that nickname. So if any of you, if any of you people out there think it was yours, you're wrong. But Mike, welcome, CIO of Optimize Advisors and, of course, a CNBC contributor, Options Action legend. You heard what we were just talking about, Mike. What say you? And welcome, by the way. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Look, I think you're hitting it. I mean, this is really a tale of the tape. I mean, when we take a look at, I think, the Microsoft, how the stock has behaved actually coming out of earnings. And a lot of people are seeing what I could only characterize as a little bit of a relief rally in this thing. I actually feel like that's a terrible outcome. And the reason I think it's a terrible outcome is because it just shows you that some of these names are still being held up by this hope that we aren't really facing the headwinds that we are. And those headwinds are that multiples are going to contract people. If you take a look at Microsoft and you take a look at all of its price performance over the course of the last four years, all of that is multiple expansion. I mean, it's an excellent company. It's obviously growing its earnings. It has a ton of free cash flow. That's not going to matter. You know, I actually don't think that the results from Google, aka Alphabet, I don't think they were that bad. Actually, they, they, their operating income was actually better. As you pointed out, it was things like YouTube. It was a couple of mark-to-market issues that ended up resulting in that disappointment. You know, if you take a look, actually, you compared these, you didn't know what businesses these two companies were in. You just compared Google and Microsoft, and you take a look at how these companies behaved, uh, and you take a look at their multiples, you look at their growth. You'd have to say to yourself, Google looks cheap compared to Microsoft, and it is. But what's going on here is that there's obviously disfavor as far as ad tech business. And that's what's going to go on with Facebook. And I'll tell you that if you want to be in the space, you'd probably rather be in Google than Facebook. But in general, the, the fact is these things are going to be sold. 
Yeah, I, you know, Mike, you and I, first things first, okay, that was a very nice intro from Guy Adami. Mike and I did Options Action together from 2009 to 2019. And not only do I call him a friend, as you just said, but just like I learned so much during that same period that Carter was on Options Action with us and Fast Money, I learned a lot about options from the professor, Mike Coe, during that same time period. And we also had a lot of fun doing that show. So it's awesome to have you here with us, Mike. Let's talk about these earnings. You and I on Options Action spent a lot of time of trying to get in front of events, right? And try to kind of parse out what the options market might telling us, be telling us at least about sentiment, right? About investor expectations for some of these names. Let's talk about this meta thing and, and let's go back. Doesn't it feel like, Mike, like 20 years ago during that bear market that we used to have like wire services, like printing numbers by accident and putting things out? It feels very much like that. Like, what do you see as a trader? And again, you know, a lot of machines are making prices and, and market, you know, and market makers are making prices. When you see a headline like that come out four hours ahead of time and you're an options market maker and one of the most active names on the day, what sort of fear does that put in your head? I mean, it puts a tremendous amount of fear. But here's the other thing. I mean, just take a look at how options are priced ahead of these events. You know, back in the day, late late 1990s and into the early aughts, if you were a, making a, a market on the wire in options, and so what that means for, for those who aren't aware, that just means that a desk gets a call and some big institution, fast money, we would call those fast money and Dan actually worked for one of those fast money outfits when you were in your days at SAC. That would scare the hell out of us because people would come running in and I don't know whether something that's leaked out and you guys just got to read it before we did. But when those brokers came running into the pits and said, I need to buy 5,000 puts on the hop, you knew trouble was coming. Take a look at the implied moves in these stocks right now, names like PayPal and, and Meta. I mean, Meta, this one is the one that I think is really extraordinary because we had that huge earnings disappointment recently. If, again, you're just looking at multiples, you'd have to say this company is absurdly cheap. How could a company that's generating that kind of free cash flow actually have the potential, as far as the options market is concerned, of a 13% drawdown or a 13% spike, frankly, by the end of this week? I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. But the other thing is, these are heavily trafficked options, heavily trafficked stocks. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of the wisdom of crowds in here. This isn't some obscure off the run thing that nobody's ever heard about. One big market participant comes in and it's just them versus a market maker and they're driving the price of these options up. There's a lot of you know, market intelligence, market wisdom, market sentiment built yeah. into these. And what it's telling you is that you know, there's a potential for a real washout still. That's well, hard to believe in a name right. that's as beat up as this. Let's break this down for a second. Okay. To your point, you know, current earnings estimates for about nearly $12. So that sounds kind of high for this year here, but at $12 with the stock where it is, you're talking about a multiple, a PE of about 14 revenue growth expected to be, I think it's slowest. This was an article in the wall street journal since it's IPO in, in 2012, you know, this has been a company that's been growing sales a year, you know, somewhere between 25 and 45% or 55% in 2016. 
15. This is over the last you know seven years. So we're expected to have 11% sales growth this year. We just, listen, if that Q2 number that was printed erroneously, that looked like a 10% guide lower, Mike, in the quarter. Now, granted, for a company doing this sort of sales, might they be able to kind of make that back? But if that was the guide, and we already know it, is that going to lessen the blow, I guess, tomorrow if they do kind of have a difficult quarter and guide down? You know, these multiples, they, they are going to lessen the blow somewhat. My thinking on this works this way. We are in a rising rate environment. If you're in a rising rate environment, what do you care about? You care about also with you know inflation where it is, you care about cash today. So if you were thinking about this like a bond trader, you want shorter duration, you want something that's paying you coupons now. So that basically kills anything in the growth space. And that's going to make something like this company actually more attractive. Why? Because it's trading at a below market multiple and it's generating a lot of free cash flow. Yeah. And you know, people are going to look past some of the other weakness to try to find some place to have value, something that's making money today. That's basically shortening up your duration. And, you know, it doesn't really matter whether the company retains earnings or whether they distribute them to you in the form of dividends or whether they're yeah. doing stock buybacks, but the company is going to have a tremendous amount of short-term cash available to do that. Yeah. That does mitigate the potential downside somewhat. Are we going to have another 26% washout like we did the last quarter? No, I don't think so. But you know, if those numbers that you, if those are actually indicative of what we're going to get, mm-hmm. it's pretty grim. And it, it actually shows you that there's truth in price because that's the reason why Facebook has been behaving as badly as it has. Yeah, and I say that all the time, Mike. And if you look at our next chart is PayPal and you talk about something, I mean, actually, I should have realized this at the time, but when that Pinterest headline came out, I should have said to myself, you know what? Whether they're doing it or not, they're clearly looking for growth somewhere other than organic growth. And that was the death knell. Now look at it. But here's PayPal. You see what happens when that 200-day moving average stops going up and starts to slope lower, how precipitous these declines are. Just remember that for some of the earlier things. But Mike, talk to me about PayPal into earnings. To me, maybe for the first time in a long time, you can actually make a compelling case for a bull play here. Long it. So I guess we agree. Yeah, I have a uh, 75, 85, 95 call spread risky on into earnings expires May 13th. So basically, I'm long the at the money calls. I'm short the 75 puts and the 95s. I'm with you. Look, I mean, this is different than the ad tech spend issue that we were just talking about. Digital payments is only going in one direction. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that they're the ultimate winners. But you know, on a valuation basis, it doesn't seem unreasonable to me. That huge implied move and the big move that we've seen lower just shows that you know people are running scared in this one. Now, look, having a trade on like the one that I have on in PayPal right now is not the same thing as owning the stock. I mean, you know, one could say I'm a little bit of a chicken. Why? Because if it turns out badly, I'm going to have the stock put to me at 75, and the thing was trading 84 ish, give or take, when I put the trade on. So I'm giving myself a decent buffer to the downside. But I'm with you. I mean, I, I think that there are some places where you can get long. The other thing is that some bear market rallies are some of the biggest spikes you're going to see in anything. So that doesn't change my overall view. And my overall view is that the tape is weak. My overall view is that the things that are holding up are probably the ones that are going to surprise people the most when they start getting punished, because I think that's exactly what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean I'm not long anything. I am still long a few stocks. 
All right, so Mike, you know, we just happen to focus on two names that tra- trade well below market multiples, where investors have clearly been discounting or you're you know, really focused on the deceleration that we've seen over the last, let's say, couple quarters or so. But the stocks have been punished. Let's look at Qualcomm. You know, this is a semi. It reports tonight after the close. The implied move in the options about markets about eight percent either direction. The stock was at one ninety a few months ago. Now it's at one thirty six. This is one where earnings estimates are still expected to be pretty healthy, you know, somewhere, you know, north of like 25% year over year from last year on 20% or so plus sales growth trading 11 and a half times. And like I said, it was 190. Now it's 136. If they put up just a decent quarter in guidance, is this stock like, I mean, it just seems way too cheap. It does seem cheap. It's always a little bit different when you're dealing with a hardware company though. And, you know, we had some fairly disappointing tidbits coming out of Apple. And I'm going back to when they were talking about production on the iPhone SE. And then I would argue even more things that would suggest you should be defensive when we were hearing what Taiwan Semi had to say. The hardware side can get cheap, and then it can get even cheaper. Are we at a spot where I think that people could start dipping their toe in potentially? Yeah, I I think probably. I don't own it. I was actually taking a look at it. I'm, I'm thinking about it. You know, the other really important issue I would say here is that, you know, a lot of these types of names ultimately, you know, when you get right down to it, are supported by consumer spending. And, you know, that seems to, despite sentiment being negative, seems to be holding up okay. But, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I would just caution people, you know, when, you, when you're dealing on the hardware side, things can get very cheap, shockingly so, and it can take a while for them to bounce back. One quick question I'm going to answer from Achilles. Do you see multiple contraction in non-tech stocks like Costco and Procter & Gamble, which are all trading at basically premium valuations to their historical PE? Procter & Gamble valuation has not made sense to me for the last five years. Trades north, I think, 27 times earnings with really just maybe low teens if that earnings growth doesn't make sense. Costco has been extraordinarily expensive on valuation for a while. But I think for whatever reason, people find safety in the name. We'll see. To answer your question, I think we will. Dan, you have some parting thoughts. No, I mean, listen, Mike, I love I love having you on this with us, and I hope you can do it again soon. Mike's got a lot of great content that he's putting out. Follow him on his Twitter account, which is what? At Mike Co. Is it at Mike Co. on the t- Oh, at Michael underscore Co. K-H-O-U-W. He's putting that stuff out every day. You'll learn a lot about options and some good trade setups. And guys, I just want to say one thing before you take us out, man. Listen, if you find yourself on a slow boat to Sicily, Please, please don't spend two years. Don't, don't, don't overdo it, okay? Come back to us. That's all I'm saying to you, all right? Michael wasn't there for two years. He came back for a year before he went and found Kay up in Rhode Island. Turns out he probably shouldn't have went and found Kay up in Rhode Island because that only led to a disaster. But that's for another yeah. show at another time. I dig <laughs> Mike Coe. His wrestling career was incredible. His trading career even better than that. Absolutely check him out on Twitter. He's a stud. Thanks to FactSet. Thanks to Open Exchange, and we'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock with who, Dan? Yes, I'll tell you who. EY from SoFi. Later, peeps. See ya.